0: All right, well, welcome to part 25 of our uh, Prophecy Night, The Time Is Now, Why Bible Prophecy Matters Now More Than Ever. Only one cartoon tonight in light of the movie that I mentioned on Sunday that we saw, The Essential Church, and I was kind of thinking about all the craziness of that, uh, of that scandemic, as, as we like to call it, uh, and uh, all the talk about things about the, uh, the uh, gene-altering bioinjection being safe and effective, and I thought... Now, this was pretty clever. If safe and effective was a fireplace. There you go. <laughs> That's, uh, that, that, that kind of resonates with me a little bit. All right, so we've been talking about how the stage is being set geopolitically, but I, and we may come back to that. We may, there's more always happening about uh, geopolitics, uh, but I wanted to shift tonight into our 11th category of how the stage is being set and that is astronomically and uh, so we're going to look at some astronomical signs of the times and it occurred to me as I was thinking about this over the last few days just how uh, much there is this obsession with space and until I really stopped to think about it and started kind of itemizing and listing the number of ways that news items are all about what's in the clouds today, what's in the air, what's in space. Uh, It was just amazing. But I want to start with a short two minute uh, clip uh, called Home Among the Stars. You can watch this here.
1: Behold Earth, our tiny home floating majestically in the vast ocean of space. For millennia, the restlessness in our hearts has driven us to discover new horizons, to traverse uncharted lands, and to gaze upward at the starry skies. The evolution of human exploration is a tale of wonders and challenges, triumphs and hardships. We have learned to face our fears, overcome conflicts, and work together toward a common goal, to understand and unravel the mysteries that surround us. In our quest for the unknown, we have encountered adversities, but we have also witnessed the beauty of compassion and empathy. Earth, this oasis in space, harbors a spectacular diversity of life. We are the guardians of this home, and our mission is to protect and cherish every living being that inhabits it. Contemplating the magnitude of nature and the diversity of life is an endless source of inspiration. We are privileged witnesses to a vast and breathtaking cosmos, and each human being carries unique dreams and hopes. Let us unite in our journey to uncover the secrets of space. Space exploration is a natural extension of our thirst for knowledge and our ability to overcome seemingly insurmountable challenges. As we venture into the cosmos, we catch a glimpse of humanity's extraordinary potential. Throughout our history, we have faced darkness, but we have also illuminated the light of knowledge. Science and imagination enable us to soar beyond the boundaries of the impossible opening doors to a promising future we are filled with wonders let us be grateful for the wealth of our planet and the gift of life we are the seed of cosmic consciousness and our pursuit of knowledge is a tribute to the grandeur of the universe together fellow explorers of the cosmos let us unveil the secrets of the universe and dance among the stars All these images were generated in artificial intelligence programs remember to subscribe in order to support
2: the project
0: thanks yeah everything you just saw the images and the voice uh, was all artificial intelligence Uh, just threw that in there because i'm working on my book about uh, technology and how the antichrist and false prophet are going to use that to hack and track us uh, and uh, just amazing. You, know, you read that, you, you watch that, and you think, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I was prepared to make some comments about sort of the, the false worldview and all of this stuff. And then you realize the whole thing was just artificial intelligence, you know, created, I don't know, even the voice, you know. which The voice kind of sounds like artificial intelligence, actually. <laughs> but anyway, I want to... Uh, look at several scriptures before, we, uh, before I really make my point tonight about this growing obsession with outer space. Um, and we'll start with the Old Testament. You know, the book of Joel, uh, post-exilic prophet there, he's, he's writing about uh, the return of Christ and what life will be like when the, Israel finally gets her kingdom. And notice what he says, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Uh, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, a lot of people have taken this passage and tried to uh, you know, define the sun being uh, turned into darkness and the moon into blood uh, as referring to normal... You know astronomical events like the blood moon and, and those kinds of lunar cycles. Um, I've written about that and talked about that elsewhere. Uh, but the point is, Joel is saying that there are going to be incredible wonders, signs and wonders. They often say in the Old and New Testament alike about uh, these cosmic signs, cos- things happening happening up in the atmosphere, associated with uh, the coming of the Lord. It's almost like it's going to be a signal. And Especially when we begin to look at some of the New Testament teaching about the end times, you'll see that it comes up again and again and again. It's, it's like when the sky lights up, something is about to happen. And so, again, as we run current events and, and current culture through the lens of Scripture, do we see an increase in interest in and obsession with Uh, outer space and and, uh, the atmosphere? Absolutely we do. Uh, So let's go to the New Testament this is Jesus uh, speaking this is the same passage not the Olivet Discourse but the same passage where he makes several analogies you know to get people's attention and in the context it's the nation of Israel Uh, but uh, he says for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven so also shall the Son of Man, uh, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. And then he adds, "But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation." So, a lot going on in this passage. First of all, it's just one of many places where Jesus formally rejects the first-century Jewish leaders and says that it's going to—they're not going to get the kingdom. Uh, several passages come to mind. He talks about. Uh, how he's going to take the kingdom from this wicked generation and give it to a future generation. Um, And, uh, of course, in Matthew 23, uh, which occurs a few days after this discussion, uh, he has all kinds of rebukes and things that he says uh, to the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the the, the Sadducees. Uh, But in the context here, uh, in in this case it's a simile, a figure of speech, a comparison using like or as in the same way that lightning flashes out of one part of heaven and shines all the way to the other part. So now think about that. Um, we've had some pretty heavy storms lately. I know we had some here in Sedalia last night. We had some uh, down where we live. And uh, it's pretty impressive. But the most impressive, just almost uh, you know, fearful types of lightning storms are the ones where the whole sky seems to light up. You know what I'm talking about? It's one thing to see a bolt of lightning and, you know, you think, oh, it's, it's coming this way, or it's, uh, the storm is that way. Especially here in the mountains, we can, we can kind of see different storms coming over the mountains. But when you're out there and it's just this whole sky lights up, that gets your attention. I don't think I have this verse that I'm thinking of on the screen, but in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew's account, uh, Jesus makes this similar statement about, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, in the context of, you know, you won't have to wonder whether Christ has come back, right? And He says, many false Christs will come, and people are going to say, there's the Christ, there's the Christ, don't listen to him. If you have to ask the question, is that the Christ, it's not, because when Christ the Messiah comes back, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it will be as Obvious as lightning that fills the entire sky. And, and so I think he has that in mind here most likely. Uh, but, of course, you know, this happened just a few days before he was uh, betrayed and, you know, cruci- uh, arrested and ultimately crucified. And so that's what he's talking about uh, here as he's talking to the disciples. First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then in, later in Luke's account of the Oliva Discourse, a few days later, listen to what he says. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And notice, there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So I'm just making the case here that there's a connection to cosmic signs taking place the closer we get to the return of the Lord. Now, the things he's talking about in the Olivet Discourse are things that are happening during the Tribulation. And in fact, uh, in Matthew's account, Matthew 24 and 25, we can correlate uh, clearly the the first six seal judgments with Jesus' statement uh, of Revelation, with Jesus' statements in the Olivet Discourse. But the point is, if these things are going to happen in earnest during the seven-year Tribulation, if we're seeing similar things happening today, it's logical to conclude that the stage is being set, which is what we're talking about, the setting of the stage. And so uh, you know, fearful sights and great signs uh, in the heavens. Uh, going back to Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, same context as Luke 21, just Luke's account of it. Matthew put, has Jesus saying this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is all stuff that, you know, you have to look up to see what he's talking about. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Now we could argue all day about what that sign is. Uh, Different Bible teachers have speculated through the centuries. uh, The Bible doesn't tell us what that sign is. Uh, in my best guess, in a context here, the sign is the cosmic happenings, the things that are, you know, getting your attention. And again, you know, as I said, when, when things start happening in the heavens, you, you know, you, lo- you should look up because it means God's trying to get our attention. Something's happening. But, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what that sign will be. Some people think it's a cross or uh, who knows. But then... All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming, where? In the clouds of heaven. Now, this is not the rapture. This is the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation, what Joel called that great and terrible day of the Lord, that great and awesome day of the Lord. Uh, So this is, you know, talking about the actual return of Christ all the way to the earth to establish his his kingdom. Uh, We know also, and I should have put this one in here, but in the rapture, At the rapture, we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord where? In the clouds, clouds, right? So there's a connection, obviously, between God's end times program, which is the next time when heaven and earth are going to intersect. You know, right now, Christ is sitting in the heavenlies at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting uh, to come back. obviously God is sovereign. He sends angels and so forth and He's constantly interacting with the affairs of mankind. It's not like God is distant or disconnected. But when Christ comes back you've got a physical, tangible connection. He's going to literally set His feet on the Mount of Olives. And once again the divine, the eternal, is intersecting with the temporal, the the created realm. And it just the, the descriptions that we see uh, describe this as being you know just very phenomenalistic just very amazing it's it's like trying to get your uh, your attention uh, and and this makes sense you know if you think about uh, protocols for being in danger you know you you know you're lost in the jungle on a hike or your ship is you know uh, breaks down on the sea, you, you fire a flare, right? Why? Because it's going to go way up into the sky and rescue crews and searchers and the Coast Guard or whoever are going to be able to see it. And they're going to know, first of all, that there's trouble and second, kind of where to start looking. So when you see these types of things happening in the sky, you, you, you know, it's, it's an indication that something is uh, nearer. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I want to work through these scriptures first. But we've already been talking before we started tonight about the recent storms that we've had and and what a horrific summer it's been, in in not only here, but everywhere. They're talking about it's the warmest, hottest summer on record. You know, of course, you you never know what to believe with the scientists, because they've, you know, played funny games with the numbers. Uh, and, And it's my strong contention, as I've talked about in the chapter on geoengineering in my Spirit of the Antichrist books, that it's all manufactured anyway. But regardless of the cause, it's a fa- it's a formidable factor to to deal with. We're dealing with just you know more hailstorms this summer than I've seen in my life. Would you would you agree with that, Wendy? I mean, I don't I'm not can't be exact because I didn't keep a record of every time I saw a hailstorm, but it just seems like you know yeah it's it's unbelievable and big hail right? I mean massive sized hails destroyed our roof. Had you you know I messed up three of our cars you know four actually four of our cars with the kids' cars and so. Um, and then torrential rains, unprecedented rain. One statistic I saw out in our area it is the second worst on record since 1886 or something like that in a certain parameter or time frame. So, uh, you know, we're seeing long-held records. And, and I talk about this in my Spirit of the Antichrist series, the DVD series or the video streaming series. Uh, I give several slides where I talk about records being broken all across the, uh, the country. So, you know, something is definitely up. Back to Luke's uh, account of the Olivet Discourse. Again, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on earth, on the earth, the distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. You know, perplexity. Again, this is talking about that period of time leading up to the return of Christ after the rapture. But we're seeing similar foreshadowings of this now. I stood at our sliding glass door. Uh, off of the you know the balcony last night, just perplexed i mean that's a good word for it, thinking not again, you know and and I wanted desperately to go out and just see peer over the balcony and see if the water mitigation and the retaining walls and creek beds that we had lined were working, but it was hailing so hard i I mean it would have hurt i mean it wasn't that big a hail, but you know it can it can hurt you know. So I had to wait till this morning to see, and it it did uh, wonderful, so we're thankful for that. But you just scratch your head and you go, again? Why again? They come up suddenly, too. And these days, you know, you get an alert. And, you know, if you ever wondered whether weather's manipulated, and by the way, it's been manipulated going back to the 50s, you know, at least, at least on record then, even before that, probably not on record. Uh, I mean, I've got a clip in my DVD series of LBJ talking about, you know, he who controls the weather controls the world, um, uh, you know, when he was vice president. But, uh, you know, if you think, you, if, you, if you don't think it's being manipulated, just ask yourself, why all of a sudden are you able to get alerts that, that say something like this, hail to begin in your area at 627? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, when we were younger, we would make fun of the weathermen. Oh, they're, you know, they never know. And it was just like a shot in the dark, you know. May rain, it may not, you know, 50-50, you know, 80-20. Now they can pinpoint it exactly and right where it is um, because they're, they're not forecasting the weather. They're explaining the weather. That's all they're doing. Um, so let's, uh, again, back to Luke 21. He says, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. And that day when they see cosmic signs that are going to be far worse than what we're experiencing today, uh, they're going to be truly of a supernatural nature. You can imagine the fear and dread that's going to come upon the earth. Something major is about to happen, and it is. Christ is going to come back with his army, the church riding with him for that final battle in the plains of Megiddo. And, and, and then he's going to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the everlasting fire. And then uh, Satan's going to be imprisoned, Revelation 20. And he's going to usher in the long-awaited kingdom. Uh, and then notice Jesus says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, Luke, you know, in, in Luke's account, Jesus goes on to say, Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. Right? That's the old King James, right? And so often people will quote this. I've even quoted it as a principle uh, for the rapture because our redemption bodily at the rapture is going to happen before the second coming. But the passage in context is actually talking about the second coming and all of these cosmic signs when you see these all these powers and signs in the heavens look up and um, you know we ought to be looking up too as these unprecedented types of things are happening we're going to talk about what some of those are they're not all you know supernatural or organic a lot of them are engineered. and uh, so the book of Revelation is interesting. Uh, the the word heaven, it's the Greek word uranos, it occurs 54 times. So that's that's just really interesting to me because of course the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ tells the end of the story. It's the return of Christ to unveil himself and his kingdom, and so. Once again, you've got the eternal intersecting with the temporal as the Bible comes full circle and ultimately ends in the book of Revelation with the destruction of the old heaven and old earth and the recreation of the new heaven and the new earth uh, when time shall be no more. There won't be the normal lunar and solar cycles. There'll be no nighttime, for example. So it shouldn't surprise us that heaven plays a central role. Role and theme throughout the book of Revelation. But I picked out a few uh, here. For example, at the beginning of Revelation, after the letters to the churches in the first three uh, chapters, uh, he says, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And <clears throat> from that point on in the book of Revelation, we're constantly taken back and forth between heaven, the scenes in heaven and the scene on earth chapters 4 and 5, which constitute a theodicy, a justification for the wrath of God that's about to be poured out starting in chapter 6, um, the whole scene is pretty much in heaven. Uh, but throughout Revelation, you're constantly going back and forth. Things are coming from heaven. There's war breaking out in heaven. There's people you know, uh, talking about heaven and Satan being banished from heaven and things like that. But after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Now, a lot of dispensational scholars through the years have seen this as a reference to the rapture, and they would point out the trumpet, which we know from 1 Thess 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, there's going to be a trumpet, uh, and the coming up here and I will show you what happens next. And indeed, chapter, the first three chapters are dealing with the church, and then the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation because the church is not on the earth during the tribulation, which is what you know chapters 4 to 18 deal with. Chapter 19 is Christ to return. Chapters 4 and 5 are a prelude to the start of the tribulation. The tribulation actually starts in chapter 6. So I think chronologically it certainly makes sense that if you were to you know, as I've charted in my Revelation chapter, uh, you know, you could put the rapture here. But I don't think there's anything in the text that explicitly we can conclude that come up here is a, you know, should be interpreted as the rapture. Uh, I think it, it's intriguing, it makes sense, but it's not really what's saying. All the text is saying is that God called John up so that he could give him a different vantage point for what was about to happen on the earth. Uh, so, he goes up and then he says immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Then again, chapters, the rest of chapter four and all of chapter five talk about, you know, the 24 elders, which is the church and uh, the, the uh, you know, just the, the angels that are singing and praising God and so forth in heaven in preparation for the seal judgments. And remember, they cry out, who is worthy to open the seals? And the lamb, he is worthy. And then the whole rest of the book deals with the lead up to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, so let's go to chapter 6. The seal judgments were now in the midst of the tribulation. And I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And notice, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood again that's a figure of speech you know people act like the book of revelation is so hard to understand and so confusing it's not hard at all if you understand basic grammar and syntax and basic figures of speech yeah there's a lot of figure there are a lot of figures of speech in revelation but you know what they are right uh, you don't have, have any trouble understanding someone when they use figures of speech like a simile uh, and we should not have any trouble understanding this that the, the in the heavens Uh, something unusual was happening such that the sun turned black didn't turn into sackcloth or hair it turned black like or as sackcloth of hair and the moon turned red not didn't turn into blood it became like blood and notice what else we see happening in the heavenlies the stars of heaven fell to the earth like or as fig tree a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. I was standing out in my driveway just the other day at night and I was just going to, ch- actually I was going to make sure my new floodlights that we put out were working on the motion and I kept hearing this clunking sound like something was hitting the blacktop, the, the driveway. And I, I, I'm looking up, that's your first instinct, that's not raining, it's not hailing. I mean, I've seen plenty of hail lately, I thought maybe it was hail, but it wasn't hail. And finally, it happened like seven, eight, nine times. Finally, I saw there was a squirrel up in this tree that was running around and he was knocking down, you know, acorns and whatever. I didn't even see what they were, but that's what was hitting the ground. Um, but if you can imagine a fig tree, when it, its fruit becomes ripe and the figs just just start falling. Well, you know, the the the... the Stars of heaven fell to the earth. You know, you look out at the stars and all of a sudden they just, whoosh, 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 just start falling, right? That's going to get your attention for sure. The sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. You know, we can picture that as you're rolling up a scroll, right? And you know, the sky just starts to roll up, right? <laughs> Uh, go to chapter 8, the trumpet judgments. This one's interesting. We talked about this several months ago in our study on Sundays of what lies ahead. Um, so if you've been with us for those sessions, this will sound familiar. But the uh, third trumpet involves a great star that fell from heaven. So again, focusing on the sky and uh, you know, the atmosphere up there. And it fell burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is wormwood, meaning bitter. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Well, if we look at our chart of the end times, we know that the trumpet judgments happened in the second half of the tribulation. And so the third, these are, this is not drawn to scale, and, and honestly, we don't know dogmatically where the you know, exactly the trumpets are in the second half. I think it's pretty clear they're in the second half. Uh, but even some people disagree on that, but not very many. Um, but let's, so this is just drawn to kind of fit in there. For example, the bold judgments that you see there in blue, those all happen at the very, very end of the tribulation. So, but it's drawn more like it's the whole last quarter of the Revelation. But anyway, based on the chart, we could put the third trumpet somewhere around here, just picking a spot. And uh, so it's you know past the halfway mark, so let's say four years into the tribulation, just to pick a number. Well, what many people have pointed out is that this correlates with the asteroid Apophis that is inbound. If you've not heard about this, you will be hearing about it quite soon in the next three to five years. It's officially known as 99942 Apophis, named after the Egyptian god of chaos, they name these asteroids. Uh, by the way, the Egyptian god of chaos, Apophis, was a demon serpent of darkness whom Ra, the Egyptian sun god, destroys every morning at dawn. But anyway, this uh, asteroid is 1,100 feet wide, which is nearly four football fields wide. Uh, And it's traveling at 49,900 miles per hour, almost 50,000 miles per hour. The headlines are everywhere. Uh, Here's from the NASA JPL site, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory site. Scientists planning now for asteroid flyby a decade away. Here's an article, Asteroid Apophis inbound, will it hit Earth in 2029? Um, Killer asteroid Apophis's devastating impact on Earth shown in a video simulation. you know, here's uh, another article. Impact threat from asteroid Apophis cannot be ruled out, and there are multiple sites that you know you can go to to track it. If you just go to your search engine and say "track Apophis," and you can track it live. But they use a technology called NEOwise. This is NASA's technology, Near Earth Objects Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, uh, which is a telescope designed to track objects in space that may come near or even impact the earth. And to save people time emailing me, I'm quite aware and have talked at length about all of the conspiracies related to NASA. Uh, I am no way defending NASA or, you know, I realize they're a part of the game and they, you know, there's a lot of bad things going on at that organization like there are many other global uh, and government organizations. Um, but the point is this, that their one job is to deal with space and this you know, technology, Wise, is tracking this uh, asteroid. Now, a lot of whistleblowers from within NASA have come out, some publicly and some secretly, and claimed that they're hiding the truth and that it really is going to impact the earth. Um, and, but the official narrative is that it will be a close miss, that it'll come so close that it'll take out some satellites which will cause some repercussions all its own, but it's not going to impact the Earth. That's the official narrative. Um, but uh, you know, everybody agrees at the very least it's going to come very close uh, to the Earth's uh, orbit. So what does all this have to do with astronomical signs and particularly the third trumpet? Well, the third trumpet judgment is an asteroid hitting the Earth. Uh, and causing devastating, a third of the earth, you know, being destroyed. Well, let's just speculate. That's all this is. I'm not a prophet. Don't claim to be a prophet. I don't believe in prophets, frankly. Um, but let's say this third trumpet judgment is, in fact, Apophis. We know when it's going to hit. I think it's May. Th- I want to say it was May 13th. I don't have it in my notes. I should have looked it up. Some, it's 2029 is the year. The exact date, I think it was May 13th, but don't quote me on that. But certainly 2029, that's when it's going to hit or come near. Let's say it hits and the whistleblowers are right. If it hits in 2029, and if we're right that the third trumpet is roughly four years after the start of the tribulation, that puts the tribulation starting in what year? 2025, right? Did I do the math right? Yeah. So if the Tribulation starts in 2025, and by the way, I have a whole chapter in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, about the 20s and 2025 in particular, and how Alice Bailey uh, channeling the demon, uh, Ma- Master uh, DK, I think was his name, uh, in the 1930s, 15 times that demon told her that 2025 was going to be the year that the New World Order is initiated. I'm just saying. So, But if, again, speculating, if this uh, asteroid is... Uh, Apophis is Wormwood, what the Bible calls Wormwood. Now the tribulation is starting in 2025-ish. We know the rapture happens before the start of the tribulation. How much before we don't know. Uh, Could be months. Some people say it could be years. But anyway, this is a significant sign to keep your eye on. I mean, even if the Lord doesn't come back soon, and even even if there are no prophetic implications for this asteroid Apophis, you know, It could hit the earth, which is something we we might want to pay attention to, you know, because there might be some things we can do to protect ourselves uh, from it. So, again, uh, that's the Revelation chapter 8. Moving on in Revelation, how about Revelation 11? Um, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. We talked recently about some of the atmospheric signs of the times. This is astronomical getting into far outer space uh, today, but in our previous message in this series I talked about the, the loud bangs and trumpet sounds and all kinds of weird things. I saw just the other day on Nextdoor app, uh, someone said, did anybody hear that loud banging last night at two in the morning? You know, what in the world was it? And we're seeing more and more and more of that, but in this case during the tribulation they're loud voices. Well, where are they coming from? From heaven. So what are you going to do? You're going to look up, right? You look toward the noise. Uh, and I love this verse, by the way, in this uh, sort of interlude that it's a, it's a prolepsis. Uh, grammatically, it's a uh, or literally, I should say. It's where the Bible tells us something as if it's happened, but it hasn't actually happened yet because Christ doesn't actually come back to chapter 19. But he says, the kingdoms of this world, this voice, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. I mean, that right there is the clearest statement about all these signs are pointing towards is that the end has come, and God is through toying with these Luciferians. He's true, finished with Satan having sway over the whole world and being the prince of the power of the air and the God of this age and all those things. He's coming back, and that's what these signs are pointing toward. Here's another cosmic incident in Revelation 12 when war breaks out in heaven, Michael and his angels fight with Satan and his angels. Satan and his angels did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Remember, at the present time, uh, Satan has access to heaven. He can go knock on God's door any time he wants. So We see this played out in the book of Job, for example. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, as we get closer and closer to that final battle and the return of Christ, God's going to say, be gone, I'm done with you. I don't ever want to see your ugly face again. And Satan's bound to the earth. And you think it's bad now, you know, at least now he can come and go and he's out, you know, partying in the heavenlies, but he's going to be confined to the earth. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So at that point, God controls uh, the, you know, the celestial realm in total at that point on. And Satan's uh, impact and influence is limited to uh, here. So I don't think they'll be seeing any UFOs at that point. You know, it's, he's confined to the earth. God is basically, you know, I think, cleaning up, things and judging things starting from eternity and getting closer remember the Bible talks about the three heavens third heaven is the abode of God the second heaven is what we're talking about tonight the first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds and the planes are so I think he's he's working his way back to the earth and he's going to wipe out the celestial on first and Satan and his demons no longer there and then he's going to get closer and eventually he's going to cast them into the everlasting fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 and uh, and so forth. So uh, that's Revelation 12. Revelation 15. I know I saw another sign. Where in heaven? Great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. Chapter 15 is a prelude to the bowl judgments. And uh, these seven angels have these bowls that are going to constitute the completion of God's wrath. Um, and then, of course, the biggest, most awesome wonderful awe inspiring thing that happens from heaven is when Christ comes back and now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven that's The church, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So the closer we get to the return of Christ... All eyes are on heaven for the signs, the wonders, the incredible cosmic disturbances and things uh, that are going to be happening. So, uh, as we think about the setting of the stage and how the time is now and why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever, are we seeing a growing obsession with outer space? We certainly are. I mean, we've got more satellites, private and nationally owned, throughout the world, than ever before in space. We even have, you know, private space travel. You can buy a ticket and and go out into space, you know? Uh, People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for the chance to to go into space. We've got space weapons, right? In fact, the whole uh, Space Force was just founded by Donald Trump during his presidency. Uh, it's the uh, you know, sixth branch of the military. I guess seventh if you count the National Guard, which is kind of a separate deal. But, um, and you know, is it significant that now of all times we now have an entire military branch in our country that's focused on outer space? I think it is prophetically significant, just like I think it's prophetically significant that the nation of Israel was given a, a nation again uh, in 1948, um, if, if as we've just seen, and by the way, there are many other passages that speak to the significance of the sky and the stars and the sun and the moon in uh, the heavenlies, um, uh, you know, if that's all true, and of course it is, then it follows we're going to see, you know, more of an obsession with these things. Um, and so, you know, the Space Force, uh, it's interesting the official narrative, and if you go to their website, you know they're going to say it's all about space weapons and being able to augment and support earthbound conventional weapons, um, and that space is the is the real frontier now. Uh, that and the first nation to really conquer space from a military perspective is going to be able to conquer the world. So, you know, we've got to we've got to get up there. But I know. Uh, from you know, people that I've talked to and other people that have leaked this information that a huge part of the establishment of the United States Space Force was all of these UFOs and things that they've been studying for 75 years and don't know what they are. And they're capable of doing things that nobody is, uh, you know, can, can do. It's not humanly possible. It's not scientifically possible. It defies all the rules of gravity and all the rules of science. Um, and this has all been become part of the public domain since 2017, but it goes way back to the 1940s when, you know, they first started studying this stuff. I talked to someone on the phone today who's convinced that, you know, these UFOs are all just made up and it's a, a ruse of the devil and his earthly accomplices to create a narrative to explain the rapture. That's not true at all. They are probably going to use this as a ruse to explain the rapture, but that doesn't mean they're not real and they absolutely are real and they are demonic and dimensional in nature and and deal with all of the evil celestial uh, beings. And so uh, there's a lot of evidence that a huge part from the recent hearings that we've had, including one last week, where more and more government officials are testifying before Congress that they are, have come to believe that the only explanation for these unidentified anomalous phenomena, they now call them UAP, used to be unidentified aerial phenomena, now it's an anomalous phenomena. More and more people are testifying under oath before Congress, experts, military brass, that the only explanation that makes any sense is that these are demonic, that they're otherworldly, not in a green Martian from another planet type of sense, uh, but from, you know, a, a dimensional sense. They're from another dimension. We know from the Bible that that means spiritual, which means demonic or evil. Um, so, uh, you know, we talked about UFOs a lot in part 15 of this series, but that's relevant again uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, talking about uh, this astronomical signs. By the way, another term that you should get to know if you haven't already is the term fast walker. Um, We've talked about, in, in the book, I talk about skinwalkers, which are demonic spirits that can take on animal form. Uh, and uh, But the government uses the terms fast walker and slow walker to differentiate between the traditional UFOs, as they've been called, that we see, that people see, and that may or may not have crashed, you know, on the earth and you know, you know, all of the types of things that the ufologists have studied, that Project Blue Book studied, but that's slow walkers. Fast walkers are the ones that are way out there, way out in outer space, and there's so many of them, you know, you don't hear much talk about them, but it's, it's big time been covered by uh, astronomers and NASA, and, and by the way, the NSA which has highly sophisticated satellites and tracking devices up there that we don't even know about, some of them, uh, but the ones we do know about, they've gone on record saying they had to put a special filter on their satellites to be able to block out all of these fast walkers because there's so much, so many of them, so much going on way out there in outer space that's inexplicable. These orbs and shooting stars and things that they can't even explain through normal astronomy that they have to put a filter on to be able to even get their satellites to work. So this again is all heating up and indicating that there is an increase in celestial activity which is setting the stage for the return of Christ. What other signs do we see of things going on up above that have caused us to look up? Well, of course, who can forget the recent balloonapalooza with the China balloons uh, coming over all over, you know, wherever Montana and the Great Lakes and I forget where all they were. Um, it's uh, amazing. It's if if all it took was to be able to sneak into this country was a, a hot air balloon. I mean, why didn't? Russia or any of our enemies through the years think of it sooner. Why didn't Hitler think of it? They had hot air balloons back then. Um, I wish we had a military that could, you know, could have stopped them. But anyway, or commander in chief that wanted to stop them. But anyway, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise us because you know, uh, you know, four millennials who had zero flying experience managed to evade the mightiest military in the world for. Five hours on a bright sunny day, you know, back in 2001. So, who knows what's going on with that? But another example of what's in the sky. We talked about it uh, before we started tonight. Geoengineering. Again, I, I deal with this ex- extensively in a previous message in this series. What uh, that uh, that we're talking about right now. The time is now. But I've also dealt with it extensively in Chapter Eight of uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, uh, Volume. One, I think. Hmm. I think it's volume one. Uh, but you know, w- what are they calling it? it? Was just in the news, and uh, you know, f- uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Biden signed new legislation to do more solar radiation management (SRM). Now, you know, I can tell you, I was using that term, and I'm not setting myself up. I'm just reading the the science and the magazines and the research behind it. But there were people using that term 15 years ago and getting scoffed and laughed at. Ah, there's no such thing as solar radiation management. You mean they're spraying stuff in the air, tinkering with the global atmosphere? Why would they do that? Well, now it's all on record. Uh, They called it climate intervention or weather modification or chemical ice nucleation or sprayed particulate trails or atmospheric aerosol saturation or stratospheric sulfate aerosols or carbon dioxide removal. There's all kinds of techniques that they're using, but it all is centered up in the the sky. So I think it's fair to say that the stage is definitely being set astronomically. There's lots going on up there, and to me it's just one more indication uh, that the Lord's return is closer than ever. All right, we've got time for a few questions. Let me just mention uh, some resources that are available. Yesterday, we did episode four of Dr. Ixon Answers Your Questions, Uh, about an hour and 20 minutes of some great questions. Uh, If you have the time and inclination, I encourage you to listen to that. Uh, You can find it at notbyworks.org on the podcast menu or wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for Not By Works Ministries. Uh, Friday, we did one on the snowballing nature of artificial intelligence. And uh, that was with our technologist Shane. I talked to him today about a couple of other things uh, in research for my book, but uh, that's a great uh, podcast as well. Uh, last week we also had Brad Mastin on talking about while we wait, what should we be doing? And that took a totally different direction than I really thought it might, because we talked a lot about you know things happening on earth and how Christians should really respond to it related to the grand conspiracy. Uh, I was on uh, Stand Up for the Truth of Mary Danielson. We talked about biblical paradoxes and and antinomies. Uh, and then, of course, last week's uh, World Events Update with Randy is available as well. Uh, I want to mention, because we're one month away now, the upcoming Bible Prophecy Conference in uh, Fort Collins. Uh, tickets are now on sale. Uh, and it's uh, myself, Bill Salas, Dr. Randy Price, and uh, Dr. Dan Starevich. Uh, The theme of the conference is Israel, God's Prophetic Clock. I'll be speaking three times. It's a Saturday, Sunday, right up in Fort Collins. Uh, You can get special discounts on the hotel there. It's being held, I forget where it's held, but if you click the link on our website, you'll be able to find it. It's at a school, I think. But they've got an arrangement with the Marriott up there where you can get discounted uh, rates, or you can just commute. It's not that far from uh, Metro Denver. Uh, And then we've got some other conferences coming up a little bit later. We'll say more about these later, but in October we'll be in Oklahoma and uh, in December we'll be in Dallas at the pre-trib conference. Okay, any questions? Who's got the first question uh, for tonight or comment or thought or criticism? We're going to let you hold the mic and then he's got a mic that he's going to hold near you just for the live streamers.
2: So regarding the... um weather events um do the luciferians assuming it's them geoengineering and not god i still have a question on you know is it god doing these weather events or the luciferians if it is the luciferians and they're geoengineering do they uh, realize that they're fulfilling biblical prophecy by making us look up at all these
0: yeah so great events? question um that could be asked of really any prophetic a role that Satan plays in the end times. Does he realize it? I think he knows the Bible, uh, and uh, you know, but he just doesn't believe it. So he he doesn't really care. As far as the co-conspirators on Earth, the Luciferians, I don't. Half of them probably never even picked up a Bible. They just they just know Satan is their god, and that's who they worship. Uh, but I want to clarify it. There's absolutely no question whatsoever. 150 percent guaranteed that the Luciferians are geoengineering. That's we we. They're on record. We've got incontrovertible evidence of it. They're right out there saying it. That doesn't preclude God from also doing some supernatural weather events. Uh, He's done it throughout time. He controls the wind. The Bible tells us that. He controls the weather. He's God. So I think there could be some of both. Um, But there's no question that the Luciferians have been hard at work for decades trying to control the weather. Like LBJ said, he who controls the weather controls the world. So, yeah. Good question. Thank you. Who's next? Anybody? Any more comments or questions? I wish there was a way for our live streamers to, to ask, because I'm sure they've got questions, but they can email us and we'll answer them on a future Q&A. Anybody? How about over here?
2: You mentioned blood moons. Do you see the blood moons that we've had as being part of a natural time of, um, you know, uh, or something supernatural that's happening related to? God's
0: yeah, so, table? you know, I've, it's been a long time since I've talked about that. I did a, a message on it once at a, at a special event. On that, back when it was kind of all the rage, uh, Bill Salas, who I'm going to be with in Fort Collins next month, uh, he's really an expert in that field. Uh, I don't take the passages about the blood moons the same way he does, and some people do, but I think we certainly would be on good ground to say that, you know, if there's a f- inten- increasing frequency of that, because it is a naturally occurring astronomical event. I mean, they. History has shown that these so-called blood moons occur with regularity. Um, But I think the premise that some people have is that there are more of them, and they're happening closer together. Could that be a fulfillment of Bible prophecy? I think it's not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and I don't think it has anything to do with the specific references to a blood moon in Scripture. As I've already shown you, that's a a simile. That's a figure of speech. Um, And those are going to happen during the Tribulation. but. For, every, for all the reasons I just talked about tonight, if there's an increase in you know, uh, anomalies in the heavenlies, w- of which that might be, that could be a, a sign that we're getting close, absolutely. Yeah. Somebody else? Julie?
3: So I've been listening to some of the stuff online and there's like stuff going on with our sun right now some sort of big solar flare yeah i'm not trying to like push it into anything but it seems like we're definitely like the snowball's definitely rolling because there is so much going on in outer space um now that one i figure is from god i don't think we control the sun yet but
0: (laughs) i mean they may not control the sun (laughs) but they're certainly keeping us from accessing its full power by coating the sky with these nano metal particulates. So do you but
3: think that that really, I mean, that could be, do you think that some of that is the cause why they're seeing some stuff that they haven't really ever seen or has been like forever seeing? No,
0: my understanding of the solar flares, That's. I do think that's organic. I I don't know. People will, will let me know if I'm wrong. We have such great audience at Not By Works. <laughs> really, you know, people are brilliant. And and they they you know, definitely clue me in if I've not studied something. but my understanding is solar flares are organic and that they are increasing. And I do think my speculation is that's just a sign that this old earth is getting ready to burn up. you know that's what God says that in the end, it's going to burn up, you know, second Peter three. So, uh, I don't know that they're causing those necessarily, but but who knows? I mean, there there's nothing they won't try. They're like mad scientists. They're spraying whatever they can in the sky and, and thinking, eh, ho, 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 let's what is, happens if we push this button? No, let's try this. They don't care the effects. They just want to toy and experiment with it.
3: Would you still see it as as stage setting, regardless?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think it's a stage setting. Yeah, I, that's the way mm-hmm. I would interpret it. Uh, but yeah, you know, as we talk about. EMPs, and Randy talked about this two Saturdays ago in our limited series that we're doing on Saturdays about preparedness, it was how to prepare for an EMP, he talked a little bit about solar flares, and they could result in the same type of problem on earth with our electronics equipment, but, uh, you know, one of them is a man-made weapon, the other is somewhat organic, so, anybody else? All right. (laughs) Of course, yeah. As long as I have an answer. Oh, okay. If you stop me, I'll be.
2: Oh, okay. My
0: feelings so, will be hurt. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> so this is regarding um, age of accountability, um, mm-hmm. as far as, and what I mean by that, if um, anybody doesn't understand, is um, at what age does God consider somebody, um, I guess, uh, capable mentally and mature? Maturity rate of accepting Jesus, accepting the gospel. Obviously, like a two-year-old will be raptured. Every two-year-old will be raptured. Um, But what about, say, a fifteen-year-old? Or what does the Bible quote in age of
0: accountability? No. So that's a good question. So the age of accountability is one of those terms that really is poorly named because it's really misleading, and it comes out of the Baptist background, uh, you know, and. you described what it means perfectly well. And that is, it's meant to describe what is a theological conclusion that is, to me, unmistakable in Scripture. I will die on this hill. Uh, You can't cite chapter and verse, thus saith the Lord, every child after such and such an age who hasn't believed the gospel is going to hell. But you can draw some clear inferences from Scripture. First of all, we know examples in scripture of infants that went to heaven. That's, we know that, right? We also know that there's only one condition ever mentioned from cover to cover in the Bible for a person to have eternal life, and that's faith. Faith, that's the one you have to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again. Faith, by definition, is intellectual. It's inherently a mind and heart construct. You don't have faith with your big thumb or your big toe, you have faith intellectually. Right. To believe something requires thought. It requires understanding. So then Romans 10:17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You got to hear and understand in order to believe. So if that's the one condition, then it would be inconsistent with God's attributes to hold someone accountable for whom it is impossible to meet that one condition, right? So a mentally handicapped person or a a young infant whose brain isn't cognitive enough. Uh, So I believe very strongly that all aborted babies, all infants, all, you know, Most young children who don't have the capacity to hear and understand, they might hear it, but they might not understand it. And if you don't understand it, you can't believe it, right? So, but let me clarify, that's different from someone who's never heard the gospel as an adult because the Bible addresses that in Romans 1. So a person who's capable intellectually of expressing faith is not off the hook because they've never heard the gospel. That's why we're given the Great Commission. That's why there's an urgency to the gospel. That's why Not By Works exists, is we want people to hear and believe the gospel. So someone can't say, well, how can I believe it? I never heard it. The Bible says, you know there's a God, so you're without excuse, oh man. That's what Romans 1 says. So if you respond to God's general revelation of his existence, then God will make sure you hear special revelation in the form of the gospel. But for someone who is incapable of, of believing intellectually, I believe they're covered by God's grace. Now, Calvinists believe they would you know, throw things at their computer right now if they heard me say that. They absolutely disagree with that. They think that it's only about election, and they would never tell a mother who lost a baby in pregnancy that you'll see your child again, because in their view, if that child was elect, he goes to heaven. If he's not, he's in hell. So that's just not Consistent with my understanding as a whole of, the, of theology. Now, again, it's a theological conclusion, not an exegetical one where I can point to chapter and verse. But uh, an excellent book on the subject that's written more as a devotional for people who've lost young children is uh, called Safe in the Arms of Jesus by uh, Robert P. Leitner, who's not no longer living, but uh, I knew him well. I had him in two different levels of education as a professor in my master's and my PhD, and worked with him in several scenarios. Great man of God. And that's that's a neat little paperback book that I think will help give people uh, comfort. All right, right, one more. Just
3: part B to that, because I have, I know someone who lost a child at like the age of 10, and this child. I always talked about how much this child loved Jesus, couldn't wait to go to church, all of this sort of thing. But there wasn't this going down in front and this prayer and all of this. And so I know that she struggles, the mom. So would you say that, I mean, how, what would you tell a mom like that?
0: Yeah, so I would say, you know, first of all, we don't know. The only person that can know for certain that they're saved is yourself. I don't know if you're saved. I can draw reasonable conclusions based on your testimony, never based on your works, because a lot of unsaved people act morally, right? But they've never believed the gospel. And a lot of saved people act immorally. Doesn't mean they're not saved. So we don't make speculation based on behavior, but based on someone's testimony, we can reasonably conclude, boy, they've testified that they know Christ and they're probably a believer. But ultimately with absolute certainty, because you might be lying, right? So ultimately, with absolute certainty, the only one that can know they're saved is you and God. And you can absolutely with 100% certainty know that you're saved. The world in in Calvinism tries to tell you, well, you can't really know because, you know, like R.C. Sproul said before he died, he can only be 99% sure he's going to heaven because his theology convinced him that if he departed from the Lord right before he died, he'd be in hell. It means he was never really saved. I don't believe that at all. I believe you can absolutely know with 100% certainty, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think we can draw some, some inferences from the situation you described. First of all, children come by faith much more easily than adults. And so if a child grows up around the gospel and has heard the gospel it's highly likely that at some point it clicked at some point they go yeah i'm a sinner who needs a savior and i believe jesus died for my sins and rose again and i'm going to trust him to save me now they don't have to walk an aisle or sign a card which is common in you know a lot of baptist circles and other circles none of that saves you anyway Uh, in fact i think as you've heard me say before for most believers you may mark the moment of your salvation at a certain time when you prayed a prayer or you raised a hand or something. But in all likelihood, it actually probably happened before that when you heard and believed the gospel for the first time. Um, so I would, if I was counseling that mother, I would counsel her, look, if you if that child grew up in an environment of the gospel, I, I'm quite sure they're saved. And then leave it at that because if you're not, if they're not saved, which by the time we find out, we're not going to care. You know, for one thing, I hate to sound blunt, but you know, let's let's give reasonable hope. Now, if I'm talking to some uh, mom that was not raised into, not had a Christian family, and they raised a child who's never in church, never most likely heard the gospel, and died, you know, as a teenager, it's a different conversation. But I'm still going to give them a modicum of hope. I'm going to say, well, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. Let's just hope and pray that somewhere in their journey they heard the gospel from a friend or a gospel track or a Christmas music playing in Macy's as they were shopping. Let's just hope and pray that your child somewhere along their journey heard the gospel and believed it. And we'll put our hope in that. So it's the same idea, but, you know, I think you can give them hope. right. well thank you guys. Uh, Have a great uh, rest of the week and uh, we will see you next time. We'll see you Sunday at Plum Creek if you're if you're in the area.